Thanks to today's guest and his crews, you can dash through the snow and park safely. Today, we learned how Mark Aquilino and his Outdoor Pride Landscape and Snow Management team has grown into one of the largest landscape and snow management providers in New England. I'm Matt Mowry, co-publisher and executive editor of Business NH Magazine and Granite Media Group. And I'm Christine Kerrigan, co-publisher of Business NH Magazine and chief creative officer for Granite Media Group. And welcome to BizCast NH. So, Christine, we are officially into our winter weather. Yes, we are. So, (laughs) when you don't want to be completely indoors and warm and toasty warm, uh, what do you like to do? What do I like to do in the winter weather? Yeah. Um, Well, I will say I am uh, am an indoor cat when it comes to the winter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not a huge fan of the cold. Um, I have to say, though, when when we were kids, we used to do this tradition. uh, The family, my parents would take, I have a brother and a sister, my parents would take us and we would do a winter picnic. So we would pack a picnic, pack up the car. And usually in about February, we would take a drive up to Lake Winnipesaukee. We'd go to Ware's Beach. We would do a picnic out of the back of the car. Oh, wow. And then we'd always go out because the lake would be frozen by then. And we'd go out on the lake and we'd kind of see how far we could walk out. I always loved being able to walk out on the frozen lake. I thought it was the coolest thing. Nice. So that I think was my favorite uh, winter activity growing up as a kid. Now, if I don't have to shovel, that's my favorite winter activity. <laughs> so, yeah, Matt, do you have any favorite winter winter activities or any memorable stories or anything? Oh, yes. And one I've shared in the magazine uh, that started off as an elaborate Facebook post yeah. after a, a very eventful ski adventure with my family. <laughs> yeah. That I have friends who actually look forward to. They're, they're like, you have to repost that. Right, right. And so I thought I'd share it today yeah absolutely oh, i mean I, I love skiing with the family but this one it's like buckle up because this one has lived in family infamy and um it's probably just left um, deep emotional scars of my children <laughs> which you'll read you'll be able to read about in their book daddy dearest someday yeah um, <laughs> So it was like, you know, during the pandemic when ski areas, you, you couldn't go in anywhere. You had to change in your car right, before, right. beforehand. So yeah. anyways, so we get to the ski area and you have to clamber up these stairs that are all icy to get to the slope. Yeah. And so my youngest, Dan, he's like, I think he thought he was in a vaudeville routine. Like he's got his poles and his skis um, and he's like dropping them, no- trying to knock people over. I'm trying to rush up and grab them out of his hand before he <laughs> injures himself or somebody else and then we get up there and i swear i took one step and boom the fat man went down oh. yard sale and you know i am flat on the ground butt up in the air i look like i'm a you know an acolyte of the sun i'm like you know in worship pose <laughs> And people, <laughs> and people are walking by me. I'm like, there's just no dignity at this point. And I'm, I realize I'm in this patch of ice. So I'm slowly crawling my way to any place <laughs> that has actual snow so I can get up passing these people. I'm just like, can this go any worse at this point? So anyway, the skis day itself goes really well. Have a nice day skiing until it's time to dun, 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 go back to the car, right? <laughs> so at that point, I'm very sore. My feet are killing me because the snow boots just, I, I don't know what happened, but I'm just like, I, I cannot take another step. So 
my, you know, the kids need the bathroom. My wife is the hero. She's like, you know what? I'm fine. I'll go get the car. You wait for them and I'll pick you up. I'm like, okay. So if there was a time-lapse video, the moon would have gone up and then gone down the sun. And then, <laughs> I'm like, where is she? So I get a phone call and she's, she's like, I cannot get my boots off. And this was a problem when we arrived. What I forgot to tell you is like, I don't know if these boots that we rented, you know, for the season, I don't know if they were welded shut or what, like none of my None of my children or Lisa could get their boots on and I'm trying to like force these buckles and I finally get through the third, you know, the third one for my son. I'm like, okay, we're ready. And then he pipes up like, I can't feel my legs. It's too tight. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I get to the car. I unleash Lisa from her, her boots. Yeah. They're all set. So at this point, everyone's tired and cranky. Um, And then I go to get my own boots off. I cannot get them off. My feet had swelled to the point. I, I'm like, I physically cannot get these off. And so Lisa's going around. If you've ever seen Alien, <laughs> the boot was the alien. My foot was the face. It just would not come off. <laughs> my poor wife is huff, you know, huffing and puffing. And she's like pulling and pulling. And she finally frees it. And I, the poor woman goes flying backwards. I thought she was going to concuss herself on the car next door. So we're finally through the nightmare. Everyone's got their boots off. We're back in the car. We're ready to go. Now, we had gotten season passes. This is our first time through. They hang from your neck. Everyone had one job. You wear your pass until you give it to mom and dad. And we get in the car and we're like, pass them up. And my youngest is like, I don't have my pass anymore. I'm like, what? (laughs) No. I'm like, you had one job. Not only did he hear that he only had one job, the people at the top of the mountain heard that he only had one job. I was not exactly, you know, there are some parents that'd be like, oh, honey, that's okay. We'll take, you know, we'll take a breath. We'll find it. That's not me. Mm-mm. The whole mountain wanted to the help whole look for that went, Yeah, too. they're like, we got to help this poor kid. So we are tearing it up. And oh, in the meantime, my my oldest son had first tried to take my boot off and that was not going well. And then he decided that he was going to go in the back seat of the car and pull his hoodie up and pout because apparently I was being unreasonable. Whatever. So, so he's back there. He's not moving. The rest of us are, are going around. Um, we finally found the pass. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah Where under was his, his left pass? Bust, butt cheek. Oh no. Cause he wasn't moving. <laughs> so and it, that it has the, has the Maori family decided that skiing is done now? No, we actually continued to get season passes after that. <laughs> I don't know why and how, but so that is that is that is the family lore around skiing. But enough of that. Well, I think I this yeah, we can't top that. So I think uh, Oh, I think we can. I think we can I think top. there's lots to talk about here with our next guest. Absolutely. Why don't we introduce them? Absolutely, yes. Our guest this week is Mark Aquilino, president of Outdoor Pride Landscape and Snow Management in Manchester, a year-round multi-million dollar commercial management firm providing commercial landscape, snow management, and real estate services. Mark, a longtime employee of Outdoor Pride, transitioned to a full-time position in June of 2006 and worked his way through the ranks, landing himself a lead role in the management of the maintenance and snow divisions in 2010. Mark's knowledge and understanding of corporate operations was instrumental in helping to develop a new management structure that better aligned the company with the vision and culture set forth by the CEO. 
In his role as vice president, Mark is responsible for sales and marketing and oversees all operations of the company. Mark has redefined both the short-term and long-term objectives of the company, with the primary emphasis being managed growth through a better understanding of the marketplace while ensuring a competitive edge. The company also has several satellite locations in the New Hampshire seacoast and Massachusetts, allowing them to be in close proximity to their clients. Outdoor Pride employs over 75 people year-round, with seasonal spikes of up to 350 dedicated individuals. The company owns and maintains a large fleet of over 150 pieces of equipment that support all aspects of year-round services. So, Mark, quite a bit. Welcome to the podcast. We're excited to dive in and hear about Outdoor Pride. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. So... This is an industry unto itself, obviously, in New England, when we get hit with so much snow, everything needs to be cleared off. It's not like there isn't a lot of competition. And yet, you and your team have grown this company immensely. So let's talk about, first of all, the scope of the company now. We heard a bit about that. And two, how did you manage to capture such a big piece of the marketplace? Yeah, it's a great question. It's actually funny to listen to that bio, um, you know, because we're a family business, right? Yeah. So as you tell your story of, uh, you know, going skiing, which I can't believe you guys doubled down after that experience. <laughs> I, I picture those, you know, fun memories with my parents to getting into the family business and just being around, you know, entrepreneurs, which has been awesome. Um, and the company's grown. And, and really the, the testament to how we've grown it and how we've been able to capture the marketplace is, we just got super focused on the foundation that you know my parents had built, and and we doubled down on that. Right? We said, "Hey, we've got a great product, we've got a great team, and when you talk about our competitive edge, you know we we undoubtedly um, put that as to our culture, right? Like we have a saying: culture eats everything for breakfast. It's it's a famous saying. It's out there, and we embody that to the fullest." Um, you know, from, from where I've worked in the company to where I started to where I am now, it's crazy, you know, just the scope of my role, right? My goal um, now is strictly just to put people in lanes for them to be successful, right? That's where I spend 95% of my time. Um, because if I was, wasn't doing that, I would be, you know, similar to your story with skiing, I would be doing that with my company. I would just be <laughs> juggling. I'd be stuck <laughs> over here, stuck over there. And my team would not be happy. And it's cool to see that. And, you know, I went to the school of hard knocks, right? Um, I, when I was done with high school growing up in, in, you know, around two great parents who, uh, you know, put blood, sweat and tears into what they built. It was, it was fun to see that. And, you know, the conversations at the dinner table, they weren't just happy go lucky, right? My parents would let us into what was going on. And I think it was because I was able to see, you know, when they started to get some traction and some excitement to like those tough conversations about, Hey, we need to think about this or, or so-and-so left or, Oh man, we're, you know, we're, we're bummed out. We didn't get this new work or this new opportunity. It kind of fueled my desire to get into it. And, uh, and ever since then I haven't looked back cause we're having so much fun. Um, and the direction of which we're going is what I'm most excited about. Right. And so uh, before we get to where it's going, let's talk about, about where it was. So, I mean, uh, for a family business to go second generation is a huge deal. So w- let's talk about what prompted your parents to start this company in the first place. And then 
what made you want to join it? Because not everybody wants to join the family business. Yeah, especially landscaping and snow, right? Yeah. <laughs> so my parents have a very unique background. My mother was in corporate world. She had one job her whole life, um, and she was in corporate sales. And when you talk about you know the evolution of the workers, like she was like straight out of high school, didn't even go into college, and was like, this is the career path that I'm going down. Stayed at that company for 25 years and retired, right? So she was definition of like loyalty. Right. And and if you ever met my mother, she's like the mayor of anywhere we go. Like she just kinda, <laughs> she's like you met. She's outgoing, she's got the bubbly personality. Everybody likes to be around her. Like she's got this great attitude. And she was definitely the one, you know, as we grew up, it was like, if we want something, let's go to mom, right? Like, and, and she'd love to negotiate with us. And that's where we got, you know, maybe our ability, our sales, my brother and I. Um, so she had that corporate gig, and then when she retired, you know, it was planned. She needed to come and help my father in what was outdoor pride. And my dad had a cool background. He um, he actually early in his career he got into banks and he helped build banks up, and then they would eventually sell them. So he he started at like almost the equivalency of like a teller, and worked his way up to running the branches and and did it with sweat equity. Yeah. And so it was very cool. You know, he went from this financial background, you know, wearing a suit every day to like, you know what, I think I'm going to go mow lawns. <laughs> and <laughs> one of the cool things about my father that, you know, has helped me identify to where I've wanted to go. And I think really what got me into this business is he used to talk about his time at the bank and he ran the branches, right? So he'd oversee the hiring, he'd oversee, you know, loans going out, he'd oversee all the departments. But where he really got his energy from was listening to people that came in and wanted to start a business. And, you know, back then it was when community banking was community, right? Like you knew people by their name, you respected them by their name. You know, if, if you had come in and, and we had a great relationship, it was almost like, well, why wouldn't I give you money, right? right. And so that aspect of community and him helping people, people would come to him all the time and be like, hey, Mike, you know, I have this great business idea and he'd sit down and he'd get energy from helping them. And I think that he was at his core helping people so much that he probably got, you know, the courage to be like, hey, I'm going to go out and start my thing. Right. And and that's what he did after they had sold. He went to the, the bank president and was like, I'd love to get a loan to buy a dump truck and, uh, you know, started Outdoor Pride, which is pretty cool. Which I'm sure is not something they're used to their former employees coming to them about like, OK, I'm I'm, I'm done my time in banking. I'm good. I want a dump truck now. <laughs> yeah. Trade in the suit <laughs> for, you know, suit, some overalls. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, that's their story. And, and really what, you know, kind of back to the conversation of, you know, hearing you talk about the things you're doing with your family is, you know, those dinner table conversations were awesome. Yeah. You know, I think about it. I'm like, oh man, like, those were really cool, you know, like just the fact that my parents would share those things with my brother and I, and it was a blessing in disguise because, you know, my brother's very entrepreneurial minded. He has his own business. Um, I've taken the family business and just kind of rolled with it. But I saw, you know, early on, like, hey, you know, my parents, are, you know, have a decent life. They seem to be happy. They can spend some decent amount of time with us. But there's kind of two types of people. And I've learned to realize that, you know, now with my experience out in the working world is like, there's like those entrepreneurs that can risk it all and put it on the line. You know, and that's what my parents did. I mean, they put everything they had into the business. My mom had the decent, you know, job where it was pretty secure and she did really well at. And, you know, my dad had this great corporate career as well. And then he was like, I just have a passion. I feel like I got to do this, you know? And so seeing them do that, and, and seeing that type of entrepreneur, I think the other side of it is like, I came into this, saw what they had done, and I think recognized a path and an opportunity of where it could really go. And I wouldn't have been able to recognize that had we not had, you know, those family dinners and talk about those things. 
um, and get to see things from, you know, a different perspective. And so that was where I got into it. And all I really knew how to do was work hard, right? Like I saw my parents do that, right? Like we would, you know, grandparents were always over helping us and taking care of us. And my mom and dad were always at work. And I respected that because I was like, well, you know, the fact that they're doing that means, you know, my brother and I can do this or we can, you know, afford these opportunities, which was great. And so I just said, let's go into the family business and looked at the foundation that they had eventually built. And, and luckily, you know, another key piece that my father gave me was like, listen, surround yourself with great people, right? Like you might not figure it out. You might not have the answer, but when good people get together and they have collective minds on a common goal, there's nothing you can't accomplish. And really I've used that philosophy to, you know, to take us where we're going. Um, so it's pretty cool. And, you know, you talk about not only surrounding yourself but uh, with the right people but obviously there is a commitment to treating them right and um it's not an industry that you automatically think of as like you know oh uh, there's a top employer for me to go work for but you have made our best companies to work for list um and some others um can you talk about why what makes you different in the industry as an employer and why you've made that commitment and what are some of the things that you do yeah those are great questions so like I mentioned, I've had almost every role. Yep. And one of the things that was tough when we were, you know, a small two, three million dollar company was I would get really close to my coworkers, right? And I'm out in the field and I'd work so hard to, you know, train the next person and be like, okay, if I train that person, like I can elevate myself and get to the next level. And, you know, we're still a seasonal business, right? Yep. Like the grass grows and the snow falls, but there's those transitionary periods. And Back, you know, when I originally got into the business, we were solely focused, not solely, but predominantly focused on the green industry, right? So the landscaping side. Yeah. The snow side was like this thing that, you know, we kind of felt we had to do, right? Like, oh, we have all these trucks, let's plow, let's do our thing. And um, we just, we, I said, I don't want to do this every year. Like, I don't want to have a great person come in and then have to tell them goodbye because we don't have the work. And so selfishly, I wanted to, elevate myself and I wasn't going to be able to elevate myself if I couldn't replace myself. Right? right. And so that was the reason behind where I wanted to drive this culture. So we took that philosophy, you know, got great minds together and said, Hey, how do we make this a really great business that can sustain our employees? And that was the start of it. And ever since then, you know, we've just perpetuated it forward. And we said, if we really want to provide career opportunities to everybody, we need to make a business plan that, you know, takes the seasonality out of this so we can give people security and longevity. And because of that evolution, the team that we've built, you know, we've been fortunate enough to be one of the best companies to work for. We've been in Forbes magazine and we've had all these really great things happen to us. Um, and our secret sauce at the end of the day is really how we treat people and we want to provide better opportunities for them. And so we are always been part of this growing organization we don't just grow because we think it's cool. We realize that in order to provide opportunity, not for you know my colleagues at my executive table, but for the person that just walks in the door, we need to grow so that we can offer them security and more positions to move up, right? And so that's, that's really the power behind our growth and what we've learned. And as we've grown in scale and size and we've minimized you know the seasonality of our business and tried to you know really hone in on making this a great career, we've been afforded to the luxury of being able to say like, hey, you can work here, you can do full-time, you can have a 401k, you can plan for retirement, you know, you can work and earn a bonus. And those are some of the things that we do 
that make us different because we realize like we're still a service business that sells labor, right? Like everything that we do in terms of, you know, if we have a hundred thousand dollar contract or we're out to do this job, we need people to do it. So we've got to treat people right so that they get excited and inspired to work at Outdoor Pride. And that's going to allow us to retain our clients, retain our employees and, you know, continue on the path that we started. And we'll be right back. Do you wish you had a crystal ball to see what 2024 has in store for your industry? Join Business NH Magazine and leaders from 11 industry sectors at New Hampshire Futurecast 2024 to hear what the new year has in store. Join us on January 25th at the Dairy Field in Manchester. Find out more at businessnhmagazine.com slash events. And we're back with Mark Aquilino, president of Outdoor Pride Landscaping and Snow Management. So you're telling us about all the things that you do that have made you on our land on our best companies to work for list as opposed uh, as well as many other lists that you top family uh, the private yes. 100 yeah so um i know one of the practices that you've uh, implemented recently is your um open books policy that you have so you're very open about your finances with your uh with your staff um can you tell us a bit about why that was important to you and how you've seen that uh, be a benefit to the yeah, organization. Absolutely. I think one of the problems that we have in business, and this just isn't just in ours, this I feel is something across the board, is we don't know how to keep score, right? So I needed to think of myself, if I just walked in off the street at a company, there's a couple of things that I'd want to know. Number one, I'd want to know, like, am I going to have longevity or career out of this, right? Number two, like, is this company doing okay? Like, do they have financial problems? Like, if, if I'm going to commit my time here, are they a company that's, you know, reputable, has a good brand, and going to be able to sustain? And so I grew up playing sports, right, um, all the time, right? Like, if you know, our ski trips were like, you know, basketball trips and soccer trips and this and that. Yeah. And one of the things that I loved about sports and being competitive was you, you know, you knew how to win the game, right? If you're playing basketball, you're like, well, we got to, you know, we got to put the ball in the net. We got to score points. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you also need, you know, to understand strategy and how to defense and when to full court press. And the way that we all know to do that is there's a big scoreboard up there that tells us where we are. And I said, if I want to influence the game, I need to know what the score is. So I went, to, went around the industry, um, Googled things, talked with other business colleagues and mentors, and we stumbled across open book management. And I said, wow, this is a really unique opportunity to have a scoreboard up that our employees can relate to. Because at the end of the day, our employees that are out in the field, they control 72% of our cost, right? From how we operate our equipment to our labor to our materials and the list goes on. And I said, wow, if they could influence that and they could help us hit our budget goals and our revenue goals, why wouldn't, shouldn't we share and reward them in some of those opportunities? So open book is very unique because it makes business a team sport, mm -hmm. right? And everybody knows how they can contribute. So everybody knows when you back in at the end of the day to back in with a spotter so you can be safe, right? And we don't have any damages and we're out on properties, you know, why we do, you know, best practices and how we implement them so that they avoid safety and costly things that can happen. And if we can do that and we can get these small wins, you know, we should win the game at the end of the day. And if we win the game, we want to reward our employees for doing that. So essentially the way that open book works is, you know, we put our financials out there, we put our revenue, we put our cost of goods and we have weekly meetings about it. And then if we earn, 
you know, if we win the quarter, right, people get a bonus. So we equate it to our gross profit line. Mm-hmm. And so you know, like, hey, if gross profit is X, it all gets equated to an hour. It's like, hey, I could be playing for a 24 or 48-hour bonus this quarter. And what employee that shows up, does a great job, can gain feedback, and then we get that little synergy of winning, right? And we understand, like, hey, maybe we didn't hit the sales goal, or hey, maybe uh, we didn't execute that job as best we could. Well, the beauty of business is it keeps going on, right? It's a great game. So we just want to win the quarters, right? And teach and show people how to win and what that's done for our culture. I mean, ever since we've implemented this, we've paid a bonus every single year. And it's not because we're awesome with sales or we're awesome with this. It's because we have awesome people that are executing and they care, right? So one of the benefits is if you work it out to a pride, hey, I can get paid you know, year round, but I also could play for a two-week to four-week bonus every single year on top of that. So mm-hmm. work 52 weeks, get paid for 56. Who doesn't like that? Right, you know? right. And if they can see the finances right there, they're more willing to buy into it, basically. Yeah. And they, they <clears throat> excuse me, they can see where things are going so it gives them more of an incentive to work towards getting towards those goals because they have the numbers right in front of them yeah they can influence it right Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about that scoreboard that you are willing to talk about publicly but you know let's what's the scope of the company in terms of geography revenue you know how big have has this company grown to now yeah it's a great question so geography wise we serve southern new hampshire up to the seacoast right so like so kind of conquered you mm-hmm. know down to the border and then over to the uh, the seacoast and then in massachusetts we have our hub which is in chelmsford and so we serve you know boston metro north so kind of think like you know boston to the border yeah. and then out west as far as like natick and framingham and we have some satellite locations in there so that's kind of the scope of you know where we're at um in terms of you know full-time employees um you know, I think this year, like our full-time equivalency was like 137. And then we just finished, we have an amazing team and specifically our HR team just onboarded about 167 people in the last seven weeks. Oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Which is crazy. So, uh, they're due for some cocktails once this is all said and done. (laughs) I would say so. (laughs) Um, so you know, that just kind of gives you an idea of the people. And then what's been really cool about the evolution of our revenue is, you know, when I started the comp I'm sorry, not when I started, when I took over the company from my parents, you know, we were doing like, you know, five, six million. Mm-hmm. And this year we'll finish it off at about 24 million. So in just that, you know, five, six year period, we've grown it that pretty instrumentally. Amazing growth. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. But that kind of growth, I mean, while it- impressive comes with challenges when you're growing that fast. So what have been some of the growing pains that you've experienced and how did you overcome them? It's a great question. Well, first and foremost, I've been afforded great mentors, right? Aside from my parents, right? Who I'll put up at the top. I realized when we had a great foundation, you know, we needed to hire people that could own different parts of the company and we could all have trust in moving forward. So, you know, kind of back to when I, when I took over, if my parents didn't have this unbelievable foundation and brand, you know, that entrepreneur who could kind of put it all on the line and turn it into something, I don't necessarily know if I would have found my niche to like take it to where I thought we could go. But the growing pains when you're just, you know, filling, you know, we, we call it our funnel, right? Like we're filling up our funnel. And at some points we felt like we were drinking from that funnel. We're like, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Like it's great to get all this work and have a great brand that has trust and value. But we we realized you know the biggest thing as we're you know kind of adding to this is we needed to take the hiccups that were coming in and start to find a lot of processes and systems and 
that was the turning point for us is like we were able to invest in software that runs, you know, our field operations. We were able to, you know, switch everything over from the old school, like writing it down by hand to like tablets in the field and so on. So technology is like one of those obvious things that's always, you know, going to allow companies to scale. But we're really focused now on not faulting people, but faulting our processes, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the fact that I relate everything back to culture is because if if we put people in an environment to do great things and we have people that aren't, we need to be able to assess ourselves to find out like, is this a people or a process problem? And I always tell everybody, look at the process first, right? Like so-and-so didn't get back to me or so-and-so didn't do this. Well, well why? Like, let's not talk about you know them. Let's actually talk about why it's happening, right? And when you can look at that versus like, you know, just immediately being like, oh, Matt never gets back to me. I mean, you know that, right? Like he never gets, does this thing. Um, oh, read no. your diary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she left that on the coffee table up there. I think when you get away from that and you say like, well, what am I not doing so that Matt couldn't do that? And that's, that's the culture first evolution that we're at. And I will tell you, though, we make a lot of mistakes. And I think that the fact that we're able to admit that and talk about that is is something that allows us to perpetuate it forward, which is which is really cool. There's so much I'm curious about in terms of uh, let's talk about the snow management side of of things, because that's what we're in the midst of. Um, I remember growing up, you know, big storms and, you know, sometimes having to put snow gear over my Halloween costume. Right. (laughs) And now it seems like, are we going to have a white Christmas? Do we need to dream about one? You know, can you talk about when do we get snow? Have you seen a cyclical change in our season? There does seem like there's been a definite shift. Yeah. Yeah. What does that look like? No, you're absolutely right. So, you know, we are weather geeks. Like, I also fully realize that I'm a little weird to like to get up at <laughs> two o'clock in the morning and go plow. It does take um, a special person. hundred percent. Yes. But we thank you for doing yeah, that. No, 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 no. We're grateful. Yeah. And if you asked, you know, my team, they'd probably be like, we wish he would just stay at home. But I just, I can't, you know, it's the way I was brought up. I cannot feel comfortable just staying at home when we have hundreds of people out, you know, yeah. providing an essential service where I'm literally worried about their safety, mm-hmm. right? Like we're making sure people can get to their their, you know, their hospitals, their distribution centers, their campuses, right? Like all of these essential places. And I'm just sitting there saying like, I want everybody to be safe. Like we, we train for snow year round. Like we're doing safety stuff in August when it's 90 degrees out talking about, you know, how to mitigate and reduce slip and falls for our clients. And so that nobody sees that. That's like the part of snow removal that nobody talks about. It's just like, oh, it's snowing again, like these snowplow drivers are everywhere, right? <laughs> uh, and that's fine, right? But we we take this proactive approach to be thinking about it year round. And the seasonality changes are something that we have to be uh, you know, aware of. So we have, you know, the weather geeks in us, right? And the reason why our clients hire us, you know, all these companies that we know all over New Hampshire and Massachusetts is because we're constantly looking at that. So we know like in an El Nino year, you know, 30% of our snow is going to come in January, 45% of it's going to come in February, right? And the other like 20 or so percent comes in December and March, right? That's what data tells us. That's what 30, 40, 50 year data is. And we hire meteorology companies to specifically do this for us. So they're, they're, they're not just looking at the next 
next 10 days, they're looking at like, what's the sick, uh, what is the monthly allowance for snow and how do those trends go in? And then we'll share that data with our clients. You know, hospitals need to know like, hey, there's a big chance in February that we're going to get a lot, a lot of snow. Let's come up with a plan for removal and how to get that off site so you have parking and your emergency rooms can stay open, right? And that's why people pay us you know, what they do. And we work at some of these amazing properties because we're actively thinking about that, you know, in August, in July, right? And in the, in the outside of, you know, being reactive, we're trying to be proactive. So those are the things that we do. It's like this other world where you're like, you guys actually think about that stuff? We're like, <laughs> no, we do. <laughs> it's fascinating. I want to go by, behind the curtain a little bit more before we have to wrap up um, soon. But um, I think a lot of people just have the assumption like, well, you, you take your plows and you go clear the snow but i mean what is the thought that has gone into it what is it like to be out in the middle of the storm at 2 a.m what are the things that your folks are having to think about and do and where to put that snow yeah well that's why we're doing so much in the off season right i mean we're the training starts well the training never stops but where we have to onboard, you know, hundreds of seasonal people. Luckily, 57% of our seasonal employees are coming back every single year, which is huge in our industry. Usually it's like 15 to like 25% is like a good metrics. So, you know, we're paying well, we're paying on time, we're putting people close to their homes to work. Like we've got a great recruitment strategy that just mirrors up with our brand. But, you know, what we're thinking about at two o'clock in the morning, you know, if you're at a hospital, you're like, this place needs to be open. Like, I need to make sure if something terrible happens that I allow for, you know, civilization to get to this important, you know, business that's going to provide care for them. So the thought process there is like, what do I, where do I have to focus? How hard is it snowing? What's going on? Is the emergency, you know, entrance open and accessible? Do I have to put more resources there? Also, everybody starts to shift changes at five, five thirty. And the good news is like, I can recite those things because, you know, I'm a geek and I like this stuff, <laughs> but the training manuals that we put together, the way we've utilized technology, you know, if you're at a site, you get to see all those things. You can literally recall your notes. Um, and the clients that we have, I mean, you have to remember, we're not just out plowing like, you know, some smaller parking lots. I mean, we're, we have most of our sites, I would say we have an average of 15 to 30 people working at that one site. You know, at a hospital, you need to have 10, 12 laborers. You need to have five or six pieces of equipment. So the planning, it just like, it never stops. It gets refined. It's, it's wild. And I'd invite you guys to come out with us at two o'clock in the morning. You know, I know you like to be snu- <laughs> you know, snuggled up and cozy, but it is fun to see like what happens and how we make it work. I just tell everybody a site manager or a supervisor for us is like playing the orchestra, right? So everybody, you know, from the saxophones, to the violinist, to the pianist, to, you know, the flute, they have to do their part. And so, you know, the practice that goes into it to have a good show is very important. And that's really what we try to emulate and do behind the scenes. And I feel like before we wrap up, we have to give some credence to the rest of the business, the landscaping. Uh, you recently won an award for landscaping. Can you talk about what you what goes into landscaping and particularly an award-winning landscaping project? Yeah, no, we're super um, excited and proud of the clients that we have. Uh, in particular, we get to work with a, a lot of really cool companies across New Hampshire and Massachusetts that are really reinvesting into their properties. Like, you know, the pandemic changed 
the way that you know people use real estate and the way in which businesses look at real estate and consume it and rent. And we've always been in this unique position where we work for some amazing people that are kind of ahead of the trends. So, you know, amenity driven things, doing things that drive experience for employees, you know, uh, a lot of the best companies to work for in New Hampshire happen to be our clients too. So, you know, we all know the fun and exciting things that they're doing, but they're utilizing our services to help them get a better experience from their employees. And I think- And what does that look like? What are some of the things that they're doing that you do for them? Yep, so whether that's like doing outdoor putting greens or putting in pickleball courts or setting up areas to like have like beer gardens, right? I mean, you name it, we've done some cool stuff. We have outside cafeterias that are being used. We have walking paths, we have life cycle and fitness. We're putting in tennis courts. I mean, the, the experience that happens at the office now is changing. And with how tough, you know, the labor markets are across the board, all of these companies, you know, we was actually in a meeting two days ago with the head of human resources who's, you know, based out of New York City. And they were talking about the reinvestment that they're going to put into their campus so that when they come there, their employees have an amazing time. Right. To remind them that like water cooler discussions, as old as that saying is, are still relevant. They're still important. Right. Mm -hmm. And bonding can happen. You know, it was lonely during COVID and doing everything behind the screen. And, you know, we've seen that people like to get out. And so I think it's really cool to see the shift that's happened in commercial real estate um, in terms of what employers are giving back to their employees. And the fact that we get to play a fun part in that and drive that experience is is very rewarding for us to do for them. Right. And the fact that they're realizing making better use of your outdoor space yeah. post pandemic yeah. has become really important. Absolutely. And I think the part that's interesting about that too, is when you think landscaping for a business, your mind automatically goes to the shrubbery and some mulch and that's what landscaping is. But to learn that you put in pickleball courts and you're doing outdoor cafeterias and, and putting greens. I just think that that's, I'm, I'm fascinated by that because I would have never thought that that's what a landscaping company would do, which I, I guess it doesn't, you know, that clearly makes sense. But um, I think that's great for you to to share that with us and to share that with our listeners. Yeah. And um, I think there's probably a lot more that we could talk about. But unfortunately, I think our time is up for today. So, uh, but thank you. We appreciate definitely you coming to talk to us. I'm sure with all the snow flying, people will be looking to call you guys to come <laughs> and uh, <laughs> help take care of their, their snow. Um, but once again, Mark Aquilino is president of Outdoor Pride Landscape and Snow Management in Manchester. And we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you guys. This was fun. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Christine Kerrigan. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.